It's time to open your mind and expand your empire. You're listening to The Ted Huff Show. Join in for stories that embrace imperfections and become the inspiration you need to achieve true greatness in your life through actionable progress in the pursuit of self-discovery, self-improvement, and self-purpose. Where will your story take you? Now let's get it started with the man himself, your host, Ted Huff. Welcome to episode 14. We have Jason Witkinak, the founder of Sage Gourmand and best-selling author featured in The Abundance Factor with Joe Vitale. Jason has lived a life observing and evaluating his surroundings. And this has given him a unique perspective on life and how you can cross the chasm to align your desires with your deservingness. All right. Hey, Jason, I'm glad that you're on the show. Finally, Um, you and I have known each other for a number of years and your latest adventure definitely has me thrilled. I can't wait for you to share this with everybody. But before we start diving into that story, let's let's kind of give everybody a background of what it is you're you're working on today. And and then we'll do, you know, like I do typically is do a little bit of a flashback and figure out what it was that throughout your life that got you to this point. I'm working on the book that's kind of my like my priority now the solo book uh it's called mastering your illusion but i'm also developing the the sage german concept it kind of come from writing the book the more i wrote the book the more i kind of got uh, got focused to, to promote this and really create something to, to to build something that is unique which has been my desire for as long as i can remember to create something that is is original is a is unique and it's it's taken me this long of my life to take everything that I've got and turn it into something that is, you know, not a duplicate of somebody else's work. Right. So let, let's let's do this. Um, for those who haven't had the opportunity uh, to read your passage um, in the Abundance Factor, how about we give them a little bit of an overview of of what what life was like before Sage Roman, before Abundance Factor before the, the the solo book that you're authoring right now. Let, let's kind of go back and give them a feel of what things transpired and where did your love of cooking come from? Because I know, I know your family is, is very into the enjoying of the food. So let's take everybody back a little bit and kind of give them a feel of, you know, where did the love of food come from and, and kind of walk them through the path of, of the enlightenment that you've gone through. That's a lot. <laughs> well, it, it, it well let's like let's, let's condense it. Let's condense it down to like so, a one pager. Let's let's uh, let's focus on maybe the uh, the evolution of where what got me to here, and then we'll tie maybe the food into that. So, uh, I've always had a philosophical approach to life. I've always observed everything that's going on around me, and I the intent was always at some point to to share to share it with everybody else. But I really just wanted to, to live and, and, and do whatever I could to, to gain understanding. I, I intentionally uh, did not seek um, a level of higher education because like, I, you know, I can, I can learn everything I need to learn by watching everything that's around me. And in doing that, in that philosophical approach, uh, financial status, financial levels, uh, suffered from that. So I've, I've, I've always had uh, trouble with money generating, you know, abundance and generating what I needed to, to do everything I wanted. So it created a, a mindset for myself that I just, 
you know, I just didn't have enough. I just didn't have enough. I don't have enough to do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. Uh, I just don't have the finances to do that. And even when I was working, cause I started working when I was 13, I've, I've been making money for myself, supporting myself since my early teen years. You know, if I wanted uh, a new bike, if I wanted a new radio, it's something that I would, I would work and I would save to do, but I was always only to that level, you know, to get what I wanted and, and then be fine with that. And I was always content with the satisfaction of work ethic to, to, to take satisfaction from a, from a job well done. Didn't necessarily- Is that, that work ethic? I mean, you know, some, some people gain that from, from their parents or some people gain it from oh, a neighbor absolutely. or an aunt or an uncle. Where, where, yeah, did, where did that, your dad? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I remember, I mean, my clearest memory of that was, was mowing the lawn when I was growing up, which a lot of kids, you know, they grew up in my time frame. They did. They, I mean, they didn't have a choice. You had to go out and mow the lawn. <laughs> now, I did everybody in the neighborhood because I wanted to make money doing it. But I remember being out there and I'm like, oh, I just, I don't want to do this. I'm pushing the mower and I'm just, I'm missing spots and I'm doing things. And my dad comes out and he's like, look, and he wasn't really, really hard. He wasn't like a super disciplined dad, but he was out of the military. So he had, you know, a certain discipline and he had pride in what, what he did. And he was trying to pass that on to me. And even though I didn't care about what our lawn looked like, I just wanted to be <laughs> done with it. I wanted to go out and take care of my Saturday stuff, you know, whatever, whatever I could do to have fun. And it's like, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're digging ditches, but take pride in what you're doing and do the best job you can. And it, and that's, I mean, it just did that stuff that resonated. So part of what I wrote about in the abundance factor was that eventually became kind of a curse because that was the motivation to go in and do a good job, especially when the circumstance the situation was, was difficult, something that was, was hard. And I had to push myself to, to be successful. And, and then I walked away with a satisfaction from that, but I didn't necessarily ask for or get financial compensation for it. So I spent a good portion of my life taking jobs that were, were kind of nightmare situations, especially when I got into to management positions, you know, going into struggling restaurants and, 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 you know, we can't afford to pay you, but Hey, this is what we're doing. And, you know, whatever you can do to help us out, whatever you can do to make it better. So just trying to, to make that improvement was always the satisfaction that I took away. So at some point, again, that, that work ethic almost became a deterrent from me being financially successful because it was all about finding the most difficult situation and getting into it and, and overcoming, making a difference there. And it wasn't until I was in my late thirties that I was like, you know what? I don't have to do these kinds of things. I don't have to take this kind of martyr complex into these situations where I'm sacrificing everything that I am to, to make a difference without some kind of comp- compensation. And I started to basically give myself permission to get things out of life, to, 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 to build and, and enjoy what, you know, some of the rewards that I felt like I probably was due, but was never actually seeking out. So kind of, kind of the mentality and, and, you you and I come from from backgrounds that are very similar, but the mentality, at least from my perspective, is that in order to make money, you had to suffer. 
Yeah. You had to suffer because it wasn't easy. It was going to, you, you had to pay the price. Exactly. That's and, it right there. And, and paying the price could mean spending 20 hours on something because you don't know it and you're not supposed to ask for help because asking for help means you don't know what you're doing, means you shouldn't get paid for it, so don't do it at all. And then you get stuck in that cycle where you're continually trying to build up on things and fix things because you've been taught that fixing things is what you, what makes you valuable. No wow. matter, valuable doesn't have to be money. It could be uh, recognition. It could be that feeling of accomplishment um, and you, even one on one of your videos that, that I'd watched recently is that you'd mentioned the physical pain. You know, it's, it's interesting how we look at the physical pain sometimes. And it's like we measure how accomplished we feel based upon how our body feels. So if we put a lot of physical exertion into something and we're sore the next day or the day after that, we feel accomplished that what we did actually created something worthwhile. Whether it did or not, we right. still feel that way. Well, it's, it's, it's pushing a limit. And that's actually one of the chapters in the new book is, is pushing limits. And there is a satisfaction from that. And it's, it's, I mean, that's been around for as long as I can think of no pain, no gain. If you, if you aren't suffering some a little bit, then you didn't push yourself hard enough. You didn't actually hit those limits and then try to exceed it. And in my mind, I was equating success, the level of pain that I was suffering meant that I had pushed myself to a limit and beyond it. And there was a satisfaction in that. I've gotten my philosophy down to, to several different little catchphrases. One of them is desire and deserve. One, you have to desire something to get it, but you also have to feel like you deserve it. And I was desiring things my whole life, but I never really felt like I deserved it. I never really felt like I hit that limit where I had earned it. So I was always trying to earn it and I was always pushing myself to, to new limits, but I was never actually accepting any of it. Even a pat on the back from a coworker, I said, hey, man, that was a great job. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I mean, just downplay everything because it, it, somewhere inside, I just didn't feel like I had actually pushed myself enough to, to, to earn that. And it wasn't until something clicked in my uh, in my mind, which ironically, now that I think about it, I was mowing my parents' lawn again. <laughs> but I was in, I was <laughs> Always in coming 30s. back to mowing the lawn. Uh, so my dad was traveling. He was working. And it was it had been a long, you know, hard summer. We were kind of struggling financially. And... Um, so my dad wasn't there to mow the lawn. So I was going over, we lived right across the street. I would go over and, and mow the lawn once a week. And you know, they would give me 10 bucks, whatever, something just, which, you know, help. We were raising a family. But I would, I remember very clearly pushing that mower and thinking about everything that I had been through that summer and where I was at. I'm like, this is not where I want to be. This isn't where I had hoped to be. I'm, I'm in my thirties. Why am I still, you know, mowing my parents' lawn for $10 to be able to put food on the table. Why am I in this situation? Because I know I have the skill. I know I have the talent. I have done so many fantastic things. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I don't have to live like this. I can, I can take more from life. I think I've earned it. I not, not even think. I believed it. And I made a decision right then, right there, and everything changed. And it's been on this upward climb. Uh, since that, so so would you would you say that was that was your, you know your your most memorable or life altering failure setback that what what led up to that that thought that moment in time was there something that happened that got you to think to that or was it literally you're just mowing the lawn and you're like oh my god I, I 
I can't believe I'm at this point where I'm mowing my parents' lawn and they're paying me for it. Well, there's something uh, something about manual labor that's therapeutic. I think everybody should do some sometime in their life. But it was almost like a, a meditative state for me. Anytime I was outside doing anything, I could get lost in myself, especially with something as mundane as mowing the lawn, because you don't really have to put a lot of focus into it, which gives you this kind of ability to disconnect. You're still doing it. You're still physically active, but you can reach this state of consciousness that allowed me to, to see other things. So to answer that question, yeah, there was, uh, I hadn't been working. We had, and I can backtrack a little bit here. It's all right. So, uh, we, my wife and I, we got together and we had a combined family. We had stepkids and pairing a family together is, is difficult. It's, it takes some finesse. There's always all the personalities is taken into account. So when we first got together, there was always a conflict. There was always that, you know, acting out, you know, and how do you take four children and put them into a home and, and try to one, not only just get them to feel like they belong, but to, to get along. So at some point during that, we had decided the best thing was for one of us to stay home. And I had worked my whole life and I decided, well, not I, Rhonda and I, we decided that uh, one of us was going to stay home. And I was already, I mean, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur myself. I mean, I've tried so many times over the years to, to create some new bit. I just, I've just been my drive to be self-employed, not work for somebody else. So I was on that path again. Anyway, she was working, she was making more money than me at the time. So she's like, well, I'll work and you know, you stay home and, and we'll, we'll work this out. So that was tough because we we're raising a, a, a family of six on, on one income. And, but there was a, there was a trade-off. We were getting something of value that was more beneficial than money. And in that period of time of years, you know, we, we struggled a lot. I mean, just trying to put gas in the car, trying to put food on the table. And, you know, I was working some odds and ends jobs here, here and there. And uh, I, I did some work on my own, did a little handyman business on the side, but I had started working at a swimming pool, which was a local community pool that I had grown up in. And over the years, it had just gone downhill, and it kind of was a, a, a personal drive for me to to go in there and, and bring it back to what I remembered it being. So yeah. it was an entire summer of working every day. I took four days off between May and August, pushing myself to get past this, pushing myself to do the long hours, pushing myself to, to understand the dynamics of the staff and what was going on and what the members wanted and create something that was going to be beneficial to, to more people. It was probably the worst summer I've ever had. It was, it was, it was late in the, in the summer. It was you know, into the fall and we had just finished it and I was just happy to be done with it because it was a very stressful summer. And I was like, I can't believe this is my mind as I'm, I'm on the lawn. I can't believe what I just put myself through this summer. Why do I keep putting myself into these positions? It, that's where it just clicked. I'm like, I, I don't have to, I don't have to do these things. Cause in my mind, when I was going through all that, it's like, I'm, I'm setting an example. I'm showing everybody that's on this board and everybody that was a member of that, that club that I would come in every day, do it for almost no pay, put 100% into it day after day, after day, after day, repetitively for, for months on end. And I felt like that was going to, 
that was going to impact them. But the thing was that nobody ever noticed. Nobody ever saw. The only person that knew was was me, and it was driving me crazy. So I was trying to create this ideal circumstance where people would see what I was doing and what I was going through to create a better result. You were hoping they would level up with you. You came in to level up the team and you were expecting them to come up with you. And instead they just kind of were like, Hey, that's kind of cool, but yeah, not me so much. Even if you got that, most of them just have (laughs) blinders on. And then when I, I managed restaurants for a long time and it was, I got to the point where, you know, there was, you know, early on, there was always something going on. It was always how, how you react, how reactive are you to a situation? How quickly can you put out a fire? But if you can come in and proactively eliminate the possibility for any fires, nobody remembers that. Nobody walks into a restaurant and says, that was a good shift. No, nope, nothing went wrong. Well, there's a lot of work that goes into doing that. Right. And you don't, it's not identified. It's not identified until there's a problem and you have to react to it. So I was like, why am I living a life of constantly creating or allowing all these things to go out of control so that I can fix them quickly and show people that I can do it when I can just figure out a way to not have any of that happen. But the thing is that that's not what sticks out in people's minds. So I was living a life trying to make an impact on other people by creating an environment like that. But I was putting so much work into it. There, that there was no equitable trade. I wasn't getting as much out of it as I was putting into it. And I, saw that when I was mowing the lawn that day is like, I've been doing that for years. I have the right to, to, to seek compensation for the, the effort that I put in because I, everything that I've tried to do, I've been good at. Right. If I have an interest in it, if I'm drawn to it and I feel like you're naturally drawn to the things that, you know, have an impact on, on your, on your soul on, on whoever you are, whatever you are, I think whatever interests you have, it's there for a reason. And if you apply yourself to that, you can be successful. So everything I've ever tried, if I've been interested in it, I've, I've been successful at, but my financial status definitely wasn't. Didn't match up. Right. That. Right. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple things. I've watched a bunch of your videos. I, I read, read your, um, your excerpt from the, from the, uh, from the book, um, and, and went through and there are a couple things that, that stuck out to me. And I just, I want to kind of get this out there is that you'd mentioned that one of the things that, that you struggle have struggled with, I don't know if you still struggle with it, but you've struggled with is managing your perception of time. And, oh, yeah. and, and then the yeah. other, the other part of that is through that struggle with managing the perception of time. Do you have any any nuggets on how to compress the time. So help, help me understand the struggle. And then if you've, if you've learned anything to help try and compress that time. One of the things that really had an impact on me was always feeling that there was, was not enough time that the, the, the perception on the, the negative side of it, that there's just not enough time to do what I need to do and do it the way I want. So I was like, you know what? All I've been talking about for years in all of my recordings is perception and how your perception molds your reality. It basically what you think you're going to get is what you get. And it, it was difficult. It was difficult for me to get into a situation like that and slow everything down and say, you know what? I have time. I have the time to do this. But as soon as I started playing around with that idea, I had more time. I didn't feel panicked anymore. The panic allowed me to be more clear and focused on what I was doing, which allowed me to do things quicker. And it seemed like 
a handful of tasks. Let's say I had five tasks and I did them repetitively every day. It seemed like after a period of time of, of changing my mindset, my perception of whether or not I had enough time from I'm out of time, I don't have the time to do this, to I have plenty of time, I'm going to get this done, no worries, no stress, that those same five things took less time. All right, so we're going so, to hold on to that one a bit because later I'm going to ask you for, for a few tactics. So we'll, we'll save how you figured out how to manage through that. We'll save that to the end. Um, but, but one, one of the other things that, uh, in one of the videos you, you told me I needed to watch, um, that brought up that, that, you know, most of us struggle with, I mean, even myself, I've decided to do this show. I've got lights, I got cameras, I've got microphones, I got all this crazy stuff going on. Right. And I'm interviewing tons of people, but I, fo- I, I, I struggle with a level of this. Um, but the whole fear of spot, the spotlight being shown on you. So, you know, uh, you expressed on, on how you, you, you saw your son in a play and, and that, that changed your perception. Again, we're talking about perceptions again, but what is that fear of spotlight for you? And and why do you feel like you've had that, that sitting there? Okay. So that is actually a recurring topic in my videos. So I started, we did the lawn mowing episode. We've already talked about that. Shortly after that, I started making voice notes daily. I'm changing my life and I'm going to document what I'm doing so that other people can follow it. I mean, that was ideally what I was planning on doing. There's a comedian, his name's Rick Reynolds. He's from the early nineties. And one of the things he said in his stand-up thing was what I want to leave behind is a body of work that affects somebody beyond myself. And that, when I heard him say that, I'm like, that is everything that I've always wanted to do. That is my, like, my, my goal point in life is to, to leave a body of work behind that has an impact on somebody else, hopefully positive, uh, <laughs> that, that can affect somebody else's life. So when I got to that point and I made that revelation, I'm on the lawn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my life. I started documenting it. So I went through a couple of years of doing voice notes through packing up and relocating the family to Texas to my everyday job. And I recorded every single day. You know, this is what happened today. This is what uh, mental obstacles I had to overcome. These are what physical obstacles I had to overcome. And as I was going through that, again, the idea was to at some point have other people see it so that I'm in the spotlight. But it's it was always a it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. So days and months and years went by and I started talking about it. <clears throat> that, you know, in, in my recordings, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to, to step up and have people, you know, take a look at what I'm doing. I built this for a reason. It's like, I mean, I've always had an artistic temperament. So it'd be like, you know, painting or sculpting something and doing it day after day after day, and then locking them away somewhere in a closet because you don't feel like it's, you're ready for anybody to see them yet, or you don't feel like they're good enough for somebody to see. So I've, Really, the last probably year and a half, and my main focus has been on saying, all right, well, this is it's just ready. I'm ready to share this. And it's been baby steps. It's been, you know, the first time I picked up that voice recorder and started talking to myself in the garage of our house and saying, all right, well, I'm recording this and this is going to be saved. I felt absolutely ridiculous. I'm like, who's ever going to want to listen to this? 
And as days went on and I was doing it more and more often, it just got to be comfortable. It got to be part of my life. And as I started looking back, I'm like, all right, well, I've got a hundred voice recordings here and it's documenting the whole last six, eight months of my life. And I've made some tremendous strides. There's some good stuff in there. I was like, well, it's not ready yet. You know, I, I need to push myself farther. I need to get to another level. So what, so what it, was it? So what is it that was stopping you to the, the feeling of, of being that being ready to release it? I mean, that's, I mean, that, that, that's the fear that we all have of being ready to release it. But what was the, from your perspective, what was that underlying piece that, that uh, was, was keeping, keeping you from, from putting it out there without, and I know you were putting it out there cause you and I've talked about that, but how do you, how did you evolve to that next step? I don't know that I have yet. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, it's, it's, it's still, it's still, you know, a, a daily struggle for me. I, I mean, I still make the recordings. I still write. I still, you know, it, it started with, with blog writing, which was, I started years ago. And of course I put some kind of obscure name on it. And I put it out there with no hashtags, no titles or anything that would draw anybody's attention to it. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm, I'm taking that step. I'm putting it out there. If somebody were to come across this, I mean, it's there, it's not hidden. But it kind of is because it's so random and obscure that nobody's ever going to come across it. So there's a certain comfort there, but there's also that, that invigorating feeling that it is there. It's out there. It's on the internet. Somebody could come across this today and see what I wrote and they could get something from it. But I'm not ready to say, Hey, take a look at this because what if I say, Hey, take a look at this. And they're like, Oh yeah, whatever. And, and, and chuck it and disregard it because. So you bring up something that, then that's interesting because uh, I, is there any one person that you, you were like scared is going to find it? Not, no, not anybody that in particular that I was afraid to, but it's just, you, you don't want that. You don't want that pointed out to you by anybody that, uh, something that you feel is important, something that you have worked so hard on focused your life on because it's taking somebody's life's dream, which this is mine and putting it out there for potential ridicule. That's, that's devastating that the idea of that can, can, and it really, what it is, can, can I withstand that? There's always going to be different perspectives, different points of view. There's always going to be somebody that I don't care what your intention is and what you put out there and how, great and well-received your work is there's always going to be somebody else that either doesn't get it, doesn't like it and, and is going to put it down. So every day it was, it was building up kind of a thicker skin, a tolerance. I have a tendency to, to take things to, to a physical level. So in my mind, I'm always like, am I going to have to fight somebody over this someday? Am I going to have to actually sit in? And, and, and that's why I work out. That's why I train. That's why I did martial arts. So, so I can defend myself and protect myself and stand up for what I believe in, which is something that my dad always instilled in me along with the work ethic and the pride. Can you stand up and defend what you feel is right? So the, over the years, it's been, it's been that, it's been that fear of, of whether or not I can defend it, whether or not I can stand up and, and whether or not I would let that destroy me, you know, cause am I going to crumble and be like, they're right. I, I shouldn't pursue this anymore. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the fear of being in spotlight and, and the ridicule that comes along with that. And, and it's very easily easy to allow those things to give us a, a sense of overwhelm 
to take us off focus of what we're working on. So what do you do to to regain that mental clarity and that mental focus to get back into the thing that is most important? What things do I incorporate into my daily life that create balance? Because I'm right, I'm not mentally focused if I'm not balanced. So, you know, how's my diet? How's my sleep? Am I exercising? Exercising is huge for me. I have always had a really, really bad temper and I've always had a really short fuse. And if I don't, if I'm not exercising on a regular basis, lifting weights, stretching, running, right, just something, and, and pushing myself to those limits, then I am more volatile. And that's not good for me and it's not good for anybody around me. And it's definitely not conducive to me moving forward in, in the path that I'm trying to do. So I try to focus on something else and I try to create something. I think creation is the key to overcome any kind of obstacle. If you can balance yourself back out and you can create something, I don't care what it is. I don't care if you draw or paint or sculpt or wood carve or build houses or, or what it is. In this particular case, folks, it is cooking. Cooking is the right answer. For me. (laughs) Everybody's got something different, but I think food is the, 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 it's a wonderful outlet. So even on my most stressful days, if I could come home and just let go of everything and slip into creative mindset for me, the cooking process of it puts me back into that mindset. It clears all that negativity. By the time I'm done cooking, I'm at a, at a blank slate. I'm, I've got this clarity, this balance, and this this ability to sit down and focus on what I'm doing. What is a belief, behavior, or habit that that has made the biggest change in your life during the time where you've, you've changed so much, what is that one thing that you think that has really helped you, you know, just change your life and, and move yourself to a, a different place? Uh, honestly, trust in myself. That's, it sounds kind of corny. sounds kind of cheesy. It sounds yeah. like it's easy to do. The biggest deterrent for moving forward in life is fear and doubt you are always going to be faced with that and comes down to awareness. You have to be aware of your mindset. You have to be aware of, of, of where you're at and, and where you're going and the, the steps you're taking and, and why are you taking them? What are three tactics that they can start doing immediately that, that will change the way that they see their life and it can help them move forward towards whatever it is that they consider to be success. Okay. Well, the book, Mastering Your Illusion, is kind of laid out chapter-wise to kind of address those specific things. So the very first chapter is about knowing who you are. If you don't know who you are and what you want, you're never going to get anywhere. You're never going to get anything. You're never going to be satisfied because you don't know what satisfies you. So number one, if you don't already know who you are and what you want to do, what makes you happy, and the things that you want to, you know, try and, and, and engage in in life, then number one, you have to figure that out. So, so before we move on to the next one, what can they mm-hmm. do to figure out that? How do, how do they find out who they are? Live, live your life, do things, experiment with things, try things and say, you know, in my experience, more often than not, if it's, you're drawn to it, you're probably going to like it. There's not very many things out there where you're like, 
I really want to know what getting attacked like a shark feels like. I'm going to try it. Yep, didn't like it. <laughs> you know, people the, actually do that. They put on the ma- the, the steel mesh. Well, yeah. The ma- steel yeah. mail and go. And I, I, yeah, not for me, not for me. So what it was sounding like from, from this is I, I think we're actually going to get our three just out of that one item that you talked about. Here's, here are two things that I, I heard out of figure out who you are, find yourself. Is, is one is, is you didn't say it this way and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but this is how I heard it is like take an inventory, find, take an inventory of, of what you like, what you don't like, really take an inventory of yourself of what it is you do and don't like. That was the first mm-hmm. one that I got out of it. Second one was take some action, take action on, on the things that you think you would like, but you haven't tried yet and take action to do so. Now we're le- left with one, so we have two out of the three. So what would the third thing be that you would suggest somebody do to go and find themselves? I'm going to go ahead and skip to the last chapter of the book. <laughs> That's all right. So we we can do on. that. So the last chapter of the book, because I put them in sequence basically to help people find themselves. The very, very, very last thing, the chapter that I wrote, was respect. Not only respect for yourself, but respect for other people. Go out there and figure out what you want to do, figure out what makes you happy, but absolutely positively do not infringe on somebody else's right to do that. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to find something that makes their life enjoyable, worth living, but you have to respect every other person on a planet's right to do that too. So in that journey, whatever you find out about yourself, you need to to temper in respect for everybody else that's around you because you may say, you know what, going down to the middle of town square in the middle of downtown and jumping up and down naked is what makes me happy. But most of the people around you probably aren't going to think the same thing. (laughs) I mean, you're, you're having a negative impact on them and you're, you're infringing on, and then if they're doing something that makes them happy and it's, doesn't impact you, then, then it's, it's, it doesn't impact you. Let it go. So uh, respect, respect for everybody else on the planet to, to have the same right that you do. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to push just a little bit more on this one because it's a pretty sure. general topic. So what is, what is something that they could do? <clears throat> and I think we, a lot of times struggle more with respecting other people and their choices and their things that make them happy. What would be one thing that, that you could say to, to everybody that they could do to start to change their perception of things that other people do to make them happy in the, in the spirit of respecting that that makes them happy. Be, be aware of, of what you're thinking as much as what you're saying. And sometimes, I mean, it's just, it comes out as, as jokes because you know, something pops into your head and, and you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to make a joke about it because it's really what I'm thinking, but I want it to be kind of funny, but I also want it to, I want to express myself, but you're, you're perpetuating that, I guess that lack of respect um, to a certain extent. I mean, you can, it, it's, it's, it's complex. It's complicated. So But but it's the, the simple verbiage of it, it would be just be aware of the words you're using. Be aware of the words you're using inside and outside. And every time you can become aware of it and, and curb that a little bit, 
you're making your life better, but you're also making the, the world around you better. So it's interesting because I, I've heard heard a phrase similar, and this, the way you describe this is this, this is what comes to mind for me is that making sure that your thoughts, your actions, and your words are in full congruence with how you wish to be treated. That's as good as any way to put it. So, but that that's that, just as you were describing it, it's like that. That's that. I just I heard those words just kind of coming through, and it's like that's. Your thoughts, your desires, you know, you, you create your own reality. You create your circumstances around you through the things that you think. And the words we use, and there, there's a couple chapters that cover this in the book as well. You have the ability to, to alter your perception of those things through the words you use. So just be mindful of those words. Again, whether you're saying them aloud or not, because they do have an impact on, on your, your results, what, what you're experiencing. I think the idea of, of being mindful and being aware of what you're saying to yourself is just as important as what you say to other folks. And that with those words, and I'm not trying, I'm trying to paraphrase here, but mm-hmm. uh, with those words, it shapes your, shapes your future. If it's not going to, to help the situation, it's not going to help you be happy, then there's no point in saying it. And at some point you realize there's no point in even thinking it. And you just shift your focus onto something else because there are so many more things in life that are enjoyable than focusing on things that you don't agree with. Because if it doesn't have an impact on you, then why waste your time on it? Because there's there's so many more beneficial ways that you can focus your attention. Uh, I really appreciate you you hopping on. But before we do that, what I want to do is I want to give everybody the where to find you, how can they get in touch if they want to learn more and 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 where to find out more about you on your social medias and, and other, other ways to get a hold of you. Sure. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Sage Vermont. Facebook, the same way. Um, so Jason Wake Connect on YouTube or Sage Gourmand on YouTube has the newer stuff, uh, which will start including uh, some cooking classes and some recipe stuff. That uh, I have a website, sagegourmand.com, and you can reach me at sagegourmand at gmail.com. I think that's that's pretty much all of them. I was sort of giving my address <laughs> and my phone number, which I'm not going to do. Yeah, uh, we don't, we don't can, need to quite go that far. And folks, this is, this is some great information. I'm excited to see the book come out. Um, just the journey that Jason has gone through. And if you haven't picked up the um, the book, The Abundance Factor with Jason in it, you've got to do that. And of course, click in the show notes and we'll get you everywhere you need to go to find out more about Jason. So Jason, thank you so much. I really appreciate you diving in and, and getting deep into some of these things that uh, you know are really going to help pe- people move forward. Well, thank you. It's, it's another step in my process too. Every little bit that I can do to get into that spotlight and and, uh, overcome my own fears and doubts is is beneficial to me. So I, I appreciate the opportunity. No, thanks a lot. That's it for this episode of the Ted Huff Show. But we know you're wondering where you go from here. TedHuff.com makes it easy for you to get notifications for new episodes, specialized contests, exclusive giveaways, and upcoming events simply by signing up for our mailing list. You'll get access to all this and more by visiting TedHuff.com. That's T-E-D-D-H-U-F-F.com. Until next time, open your mind and expand your empire right here on the Ted Huff Show.